This episode is sponsored by Lendex and Tangleswap. Lendex is a decentralized IOTA-based multi-cross-chain decentralized application and lending protocol. This is IOTA's lending and stablecoin. And about Tangleswap, well, whether you are looking for a world-class decentralized exchange or simply want to make the most out of your tokens by staking, liquidity farming or investing, Tangleswap puts the whole universe of DeFi at your fingertips. Three, two, one. Welcome back to a new episode and welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about smart contracts today, aren't we? Yes, definitely. Let's do it. Yeah, it's a hot topic in the IOTA community these days. I think it's um, something that a lot of people has been looking forward to. And um, there's quite a lot of good projects already ready to launch, which um, I'm really looking forward to see that we are able to do something else than simply speculate and hold and kind of thinking, yeah, when that happens, that happens. Now we can actually start doing something. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Uh, looking at all the nice and unique projects that have already been built and people have been working on for the last year or so, it's really nice and also very special and unique stuff is in there. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that as well. I guess mm. uh, there's something to do with the network, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so let's just jump into the questions here. Um, sure. We're going to have um, some community members, but due to the um we are in the middle of the day so people are busy and work and stuff like that so we had to be just us sadly but i noted out some questions for for people that want me to ask you this um but we want to start off with how did you end up in the crypto space and how did you end up in iota okay i hope you have some time <laughs> so uh yeah i kind of got introduced into crypto in like 2010, 2011 with the launch of Bitcoin. I was always looking for this new stuff, uh, what, what was going on. And I figured out this Bitcoin, I think from Hacker News or something. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a cool, interesting concept. You could like mine, collect coins and trade them and stuff. And it was pretty cool. At the time, I didn't really have any value, right? You could go to a faucet and get 0.1 Bitcoin uh, for free every year. Uh, Every uh, every period or something, <clears throat> and that's with it. And I did some some initial mining, just CPU mining at the time, and it was kind of interesting concept. But it didn't really have any application. It didn't have any value to it. And it was like, okay, now I have a little bit of Bitcoin. What can I do with it? Well, not too much. It's an interesting concept, but I kind of left it there for a couple of years, and I continued my own. Uh, my own career, which is more traditional into like uh, backend development for uh, primarily web applications. Uh, I kept doing that for a couple of years. And then in 2017, I started to uh, look at Ethereum because uh, suddenly there was this Ethereum network, which is also kind of like Bitcoin, but you had smart contracts on it and you could do cool stuff on it besides actually doing the, the, the coin trades and stuff. Uh, so I looked into uh, into Ethereum, EVM, Solidity, etc., and I was kind of disappointed by like the performance. And at the time, you just had like Crypto Kitties popping up, and the whole network went broken with five transactions per second because of it. It was like, okay, this is not very scalable and usable at all. Uh, so, so I don't really think this is the future per se. Uh, 
So I was kind of bummed by that because I really liked the concept of smart contracts and what you could do with that. Uh, so I looked a little bit further and I think on Reddit I found IOTA and uh, it had a lot of interesting promises at the time, not very honest promises, I think, at the time, <laughs> but it was a, a different period in time, I guess. And it was, it was kind of interesting. So I joined the Slack server at the time. Uh, which also had like a, a general section and speculation section. And I was not really into speculation at all. Like I, was, I, I thought the, the channel was about, I mean, it had the most people in there. So it was uh, the most amount of stuff going on. But I thought speculation was speculating about what IOTA could be used for in the future, future use cases. So I was kind of like, oh, this is cool. Uh, you can do this and this with IOTA. And if it has a scalability, you can do this as well. And everyone was just talking pump and uh, when moon, et cetera, whatever. But mm. it was kind of, it was kind of a pussy. And it was, it was, it was growing bigger and bigger. It was like end of 2017 at that point. And like the server was growing and growing exponentially. And I was kind of a regular there. So at one point in time, Dom pops into the server and is like, okay, this is uh, unmanageable by us. Uh, we need some more moderators who wants to be a moderator. And a few people got added as a moderator. And then someone said, oh, there should be a moderator as well. So I became a moderator as well. And kind of became involved into the community. Uh, and one of the major problems I saw there was the interaction between the IOTA Foundation and the community. Uh, so I had some chats with this with some people from the IOTA Foundation. And at one point, they asked me if I would want to join the IOTA Foundation. Uh, to be the missing gap between the community and the foundation itself. So I started out as a uh, online community liaison. I did that for a couple of months, essentially uh, looking at what uh, what issues people had with IOTA, uh, what the sentiment was, etc. I reported it back to the foundation. Um, then after a couple of months, I moved on to a new role, which was more interesting which was a developer advocate. Uh, I did this for a couple of years. Uh, in this role, I actually took all the software that was made by the foundation. I tested it. Uh, I made tutorial videos about it, uh, example code, etc. And sometimes the role was more like a, a tester because some of this code that was put out there was not really tested well. So you tried to use it and then you immediately bumped into some errors and then you had to work with the developers to get them fixed. And the really interesting part about that role was that you get to touch like all the software produced by the IOTA Foundation. You were not just tied into, for example, only the core node software or something like streams or whatever. Uh, you, you tried and used it all because you had to make tutorials about it all. So it, uh, it really helped me get more knowledgeable about everything being done with it in the foundation. And that also helped me with uh, seeing where we could improve uh, and what, 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 what the general consensus is on quality, et cetera. Uh, so after that role, after a couple of years, I uh, moved on to help out with the uh, Cresselas release together with Luca. And uh, we basically ensured that we had a clear scope for the Cresselas release and that all the separate teams could actually work together to come to a final scope and release with everything included. This was like a major upgrade. We went from Irie to Hornet and uh, the, the protocol got a big upgrade. Uh, so everything had to be updated, every client library, uh, every piece of software attached to that. So, so things like uh, uh, streams or uh, 
uh, identity, but also things like the exchange integrations, like talking to Binance and, and talking to Bitfinex to ensure that they are up to date and know what to run and how to connect to the new network, migrations, etc. There was a lot to it. And we basically managed it all to ensure that we got to that release and that everything went well. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And after doing that for a while, uh, we got to a point where we started, or, or we had the ISCP team, which was working on smart contracts on layer two, and uh, all very skilled developers in that team, and they were all working on their own piece of ISCP. And, uh, but, but there wasn't really uh, a clear uh, leadership in that team so it was kind of uh, everyone was doing what they were thinking they were supposed to do but there was not a very clear scope about the releases about what to deliver what to expect and what uh, actually people outside of the team were expecting so they had a very specific uh, more company focused vision on how um, smart contracts should work which is interesting because that targets a whole different market than for example the DeFi market but they don't really have that specific knowledge. And yeah, like I said, don't, not really a fixed scope either as to what to work on. So there, a lot was done, but not everything might have been uh, super needed at that point or something else needed a big priority. So I joined there to join the smart contracts team and it later involved into uh, director of engineering smart contracts uh, team where uh, the smart contracts team falls under, but also identity and developer experience. And that's where I'm at right now. Next to that, I'm doing uh, uh, the technical committee as well with uh, a couple of people within the foundation that make strategic decisions based on what engineering will do. And so some other things all over the place as well. I try to not be too tied into one specific part, but be involved everywhere uh, a little bit, also as part of the uh, uh, XO team. Uh, and hope to make some improvements uh, where it's needed. And so far, that's uh, a really fun thing to do. Hmm. Well, um, the the active community should just know who you are because you have been very active in the uh, in the Discord. Um, that's uh, yeah, not not so much lately actually. It's, it's no. uh, I, I, from, from the beginning I was, but yeah, the, the more responsibilities I get, the less time I get yeah. spent on Discord, which is kind of unfortunate. But uh, that's just how it is. But that's, That's how it is. I yeah. think the community does appreciate a lot, even though, because the IOTA Foundation people there come into the Discord quite often and simply just chat about random things, but also the technology and the the way ahead, which is something that I think everybody appreciates, even though some of the IOTA Foundation people that comes into Discord has a tendency to be kind of overrun by the community because there's so many questions and everybody want to know when and and what is that happening but um i think that people appreciate a lot to see that that you guys are so active but yeah, um, it's, it's a bit of a, a like a, a balance to find i also try to shield the team a little bit from from this because uh if you want to answer all the questions that are being answered there then you have a full-time job just to that and we have yes. actual development stuff to do as well right so mm. uh <clears throat> I try to shield the team from, from that a little bit. You have some people who are a bit more active on the Discord, like Luke and uh, Eric uh, for the smart contract team, for example. But yeah. most other people uh, tend to uh, stay away, not because they don't like the Discord or community, 
but just because it's very distracting and then mm. we have uh, quite a, a lot of work on our plates uh, and also people waiting for Shimmer EVM and stuff. So yeah, yeah we have to make our choices there. Um, for those that isn't too knowledgeable about smart contract, like what it is in general, um, could you just do a, like a very short and easy explanation about why smart contracts? Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to describe smart contracts as like programmability added on top of a, a ledger, a distributed ledger. Uh, so like like I mentioned before, you have like Bitcoin where you just had like, okay, you transfer coins, that it. And then you had Ethereum, which has smart contracts, which allow you to add programs to the ledger. And people can rely that those uh, those uh, applications that you put on the ledger are actually not tempered with. Uh, they are actually there. You upload them once. Uh, unless you have some kind of transparent upgrade module, they can be upgraded or changed by anyone. So that gives some assumptions, some security assumptions, right? If you upload a program and everyone knows, okay, this program will never change, this will always work as intended, then you can actually say things like, okay, I trust this program then to uh, do something with my coins or uh, to uh, do a certain, uh, apply a certain piece of logic where I don't have to trust a single party or a third party application to actually do that stuff with, uh, with my data. And, and this for, allows for a lot of valuable, uh, valuable things. Uh, a lot of this is finance related, uh, but you can think about other stuff as well, like uh, governance over certain things, uh, voting, etc. That, that could all be done using smart contracts without having to rely on a single party uh, hosting that infrastructure. Hmm. Um, we have something that we are very much looking forward to called the Shimmer EVM coming up. Um, yep. Is that just EVM? Is that just another word for for smart contracts on Shimmer? No, it's like uh, the network is called Shimmer EVM, and that refers to EVM, which is Ethereum Virtual Machine, and this is what most smart contract developers are most familiar with. This is like the virtual machine used by Ethereum to run smart contracts and the programming languages attached to that, like Solidity and the tools as well. Um, so what we actually allow with Shimmer EVM is to use a blockchain anchor to the IOT Tangle and uh, use existing Solidity contracts on that. But with a little twist, uh, with Shimmer EVM, you can also uh, interact with layer one assets, like layer one native assets, NFTs, etc., or with other chains as well, anchor to the IOT Tangle. Mm. So yeah. uh, instead of just taking like EVM as it is and slapping it on IOTA, whatever, which is not possible in the first place because IOTA is a, not a traditional uh, blockchain. It's a, a deck with uh, an, not an account module either, but with uh, UTXOs. So it's very different from Ethereum. It would mean a lot of adoption and it's, it's not even possible to run an EVM directly onto that, I think, without a lot of compromises. Yeah. So for us, it runs on the second layer. Yep. That sort of uh, goes into my next question because we have been waiting for smart contracts um, for quite some time in the IOTA ecosystem. Um, why has it taken such a long time to get smart contracts onto IOTA? Ah, uh, yeah, that's a very good question, actually. So uh, I think this has a lot to do with uh, how the uh, vision was defined for IOTA in the beginning. It was very targeted towards things like uh, Internet of Things and uh, uh, 
there was this concept that you could, uh, for, for transactions, could just like do microtransactions and interact with devices like that. You just pay a little microtransaction upfront and every time you need something done, you pay a little bit more and therefore you might not need smart contracts for some use cases. Uh, this was a bit of a naive approach, uh, but that kept us back, I think, in 2017, 2018. Uh, then we had like uh, the, the, the Cubic project, which was also uh, very futuristic and um, uh, it was not really uh, inspired by the smart contracts from Ethereum, for example. It's a very different concept. Uh, it didn't really take off and uh, it, it was just too far ahead of its time. It was also targeted towards building smart contracts for IoT use cases, etc. cetera. Uh, so, so not really something that was really useful of, uh, for at, at least for the DeFi ecosystem, etc. Just not really there yet at that point in time, um, and we only started looking into EVM when we couldn't get around to having to offer smart contracts as well for IOTA. Uh, so we started working on this into I think 2019. Uh, we based it on GoShimmer, and we didn't expect that the uh, core side would take uh, such a long time, even. Uh, so we built it all based on GoShimmer, and a lot of time went into that. The Wasp, so node software for smart contracts which we use, is not made for EVM specifically. EVM is more of an afterthought. So initially, uh, there was like a, a Wasm-based smart contract language only, uh, but Wasp itself is VM agnostic. What this means is that like smart contracts for IOTA, ISC, uh, has a loose tie with the virtual machine and and that means on the other hand that if if something news pop new news pops up like for example you've seen some movement recently in smart contracts with move uh, we could implement the move vm in there and we could offer move smart contracts on the same platform as well and you would even be able to interact between evm and move uh, smart contracts on the same chain if you want to um, so it's, it's like vm agnostic for example and this extra level of abstraction makes it different from other implementations, but also a lot more complex. Uh, yeah, and there's just a lot of uh, no compromise choices we made over the years, which made everything a bit slower to develop. Uh, like if, if you look at a lot of other chains, they take EVM, they just slap it on what they have and that's it, they're done. Well, we actually went the extra mile, we created things like uh, the dashboard and the a uh, specific consensus module, which uh, this allows uh, minor extractable value, which is a feature that people would like to see, and all kinds of stuff on there. There's a lot coming to it, apart from mm. just the EVM part. And uh, then we had the additional uh, challenge of moving to uh, Hornet from uh, from GoShimmer again, because uh, GoShimmer was not ready for uh, for, for, for mainnet use and it's more like a research prototype where we want to run smart contracts already on Shimmer and on IOTA later on as well. So we made the decision to move everything to the uh, Shimmer compatible networks on Hornet. But this also means rewriting a lot of the uh, software in order to facilitate this. The, uh, uh, the chain needs to be aware of the specific output types of the chain, which are very different from GoShimmer and Hornet, and uh, uh, be able to work with native assets, NFTs, etc. Um, need to be able to anchor into the layer one out of the tangle, etc. This is what we have been working on in the last year mainly. 
And now we're getting to a point where we're pretty satisfied with what we have and what's available and what works. We added extended EVM support as well to it. Uh, so I think we have a pretty pretty interesting offering right now. And the next best step would be to put it out on the testnet and mm. see how people are going to use it. Yeah, um, but that perfect time for my next question as well. What is special with smart contracts on IOTA compared to, to other smart contracts? Yeah, so uh, EVM itself, it's nothing special, right? Uh, it's actually a feature for uh, for us that we have EVM compatible smart contracts because this means that there's so many other chains and so many applications already available with Solidity and EVM. Those can all just be ported to us. And they work the same way. They work perfectly fine. You can create your own ERC20 tokens if you like and use those. You can do staking, whatever. All those applications just work. Uh, where we add extra value there is with uh, with the compatibility with the uh, the rest of Wasp and Layer One. So to give a little bit of background here, uh, instead of just having one chain like a lot of other chains having, and then EVM on top of that, uh, you're kind of resource constrained. All right, you have like a maximum transactions per second, and if you go over that, then you have to uh, throttle people and it's kind of limited and our architecture from the beginning has been anyone can start a layer 2 chain so Shimmer EVM is running an own layer 2 chain but everyone can do this everyone create, can create their own uh, chain if they want and they can directly communi communicate with layer 1 or with each other through layer 1 uh, so what, what this means, you can run a lot of chains on IOTA or Shimmer in parallel. Uh, and you can use the layer one assets as well on layer two. For example, we have these native assets now on layer one. You can create your own tokens on layer one. They work the same as the IOTA or Shimmer token. It's not like some smart contract or anything. Uh, it's, a, it's a native asset, same goes for NFTs. And those are already being used by some of the projects like Suniverse. And with this change, you can simply say, I want to transfer my layer one native asset or NFT to a layer two chain and use those there. So for example, there's a big uh, NFT party that wants to do a, uh, a own chain because they use a lot of TPS. They can spawn their own chain. People can use their NFTs there. They can trade them there, get them back to layer one and maybe stake them on some other layer two chain by transferring them again from layer one to layer two. Uh, that's one of the additional things that we added uh, on top of the EVM functionality, which is already available. And it's, we kind of call this logic uh, the, the magic contracts because it's kind of magic, right? You just send you like your layer one tokens to it and magically it becomes an ERC-20, uh, which can be used as any kind of ERC-20. So you can just send your layer one shimmers to uh, to the shimmer EVM and they are automatically there available as the native asset itself, but also as an ERC-20 uh, kind of wrapped token thing. Uh, which can directly be used for staking applications or whatever, directly compatible with any kind of Solidity application. Uh, yeah, and there's some extra functionality added to that as well in the magic contracts that's not available on other chains. For example, we offer uh, some unpredictable randomness, which is uh, not available on most other chains uh, unless you use some kind of expensive solution with a Oracle. But the uh, native randomness is actually part of our consensus uh, so you can actually do things like uh, the distribution on, of NFTs with a specific random factor in there without having to rely on Oracle. 
or gambling-based applications, for example. Mm. Um, but I, as I understand it, because IOTA has always been marketed as, as fearless, right? But um, but it won't be um, when it's using uh, the EVM on Shimmer or IOTA, will it? Yeah, uh, that's correct. Yeah, that's uh, totally right. And that's because you basically cannot get around fees for this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, the smart contracts are applications, separate applications. They have to run in the VM. Those are quite heavy operations, and you're very limited in terms of how many of those you can do at the same time. So um, what this means is if you don't put any fee on this, uh, there will actually be a problem because... If someone decides I want to call this heavy function 200 times in a second and it has, doesn't have any fee to it, then the network will immediately be overloaded uh, for executing that functionality. And there's no real way around this unless you implement something like mana later on, but we don't have that available yet to, uh, to use fees there. Uh, if you don't use any fees, it's just a big attack factor that's very easy to, uh, to abuse and uh, for, for now, there's no workaround for that. Um, why do we have fieldless on layer one, for example? Well, there you just have simple token transactions which don't don't take up too many resources. Uh, and you have also the dust deposit there, uh, which is something you get back, of course, uh, but it's still something you have to keep into account and kind of limits people to abusing the, the network. It's all about resilience, uh, right? If, if there's a distributed network and you can easily overload it then it's, it's of no use to anyone so it's kind of a... ideally we don't want to have it but if we have it then i mean we have to use it hmm. uh, we have set up wasp in a way that uh, if we take any fees they can be distributed very dynamically so there are two entities that could get those fees one is the governor instance that's controlling the chain this can be a group of group of people uh, and then there's the validators and you can make a ratio of how you want to distribute it. So for example, the governor could be a DAO, uh, which 50% gets and like the rest of the 50% is uh, distributed towards all the validators in the network so that they are rewarded for their computation as well. Hmm. Um, this is of course way beyond my understanding, but I, I, I sort of get the... the um... Yeah, so, yeah, so to, to, to keep it really simple, if you uh, don't introduce fees, it's it's way too easy to uh, yeah. overload the network and make it unusable. And that's why I, I don't think there's anyone offering smart contracts without fees and for good reason. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I sort of get the, the big idea. Um, but um, one thing that I've been wondering a little bit about is that why would people move to the IOTA or Shimmer um, network? Uh, from all the protocols when they already have everything set up there and that's where all the users are and that's where all the products are. Well, there's a bit of speculation that comes to uh, around the corner here with uh, with if people and how people will adapt this chain because at first glance, we're just an EVM chain, right? Uh, mm. But you really have to speculate on how it's going to be used in the future. If you look at traditional EVM chains, they are very much... Uh, limited in throughput and there are single chains usually uh, and there's like other smart contract chains which use like uh, wasm based smart contracts or uh, move or whatever and you kind of have to decide as a project if you want to gamble on a certain ecosystem you have only limited development power and amount of networks you can facilitate on so you have to speculate what are you going to use 
And uh, first of all, we have a very nice ecosystem uh, already with a lot of interesting projects. And if you look at the projects that are building on us, they have very interesting new concepts. It's, it's not just like we clone smart contracts from EVM deployed, that's it. No, they add really cool new features to it, uh, basically uh, turning it into some kind of DeFi 2.0 with, with functionalities from, uh, uh, for example, the Shimacy guys are doing really nice work there. Uh, uh, so they're kind of building an ecosystem like that. And they are gambling on Shimmer EVM being a successful chain and people are moving uh, to, to that chain. So mm. that builds the ecosystem and it builds unique applications on top of that and our added value above other uh, networks, other chains is that we have this very scalable and also flexible architecture. Um, we're not tied to using EVM forever for everything, right? If uh, Move is being adopted uh, globally, then we can say, okay, let's add a Move VM. We now offer Move smart contracts as well. And you can seamlessly transition your stuff from EVM to Move. Or if uh, scaling becomes a problem, uh, another chain can be spawned. If, uh, for example, the listeners of the Monaco podcast want to decide we want to start our own chain and we want to be our own validators there and want to offer lower fees, for example, or only offer specific applications, they can do just that thing. And that will be totally agnostic in terms of scaling when it comes to the Shimmer EVM. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting concepts to it that, that give it kind of unique touch. But in the end, it's, it's primarily about speculation. Do you trust in the team? Do you trust in the path forward? Because the current DeFi stuff is, is, I mean, there's a lot of money going on in there. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it, it's kind of immature still. And a lot is still based on what will actually be the next step. And hopefully mm -hmm. we can be one of those parties. Yeah, um, the I'm, I'm very excited to see how the the ecosystem is going to attract new people, right? Because we essentially, I believe that we probably need new users and we need new people into the community in order to, to grow the um, the products that is being produced, right? Um, but I this might be a bad example, but I use YouTube quite a lot because everybody's there, but there's no coming competitors, right? Like Rumble, where you're not getting censored. So some of the people that I've been watching on YouTube for several years have moved to Rumble. But I haven't moved to Rumble because I'm staying on YouTube because that's like, oh, it's so simple. I still have I have an account there. I won't be bothered to make another account on Rumble. I don't want to keep track of two websites. I want to be on the one. Of course, if the majority of those that are following YouTube move to Rumble, then so will probably I. But as of now, it's not like, no, I'm not bothered. I just stay on YouTube for now. Um, that's sort of the situation I probably see with Shimmer and IOTA as well, because in the beginning, all the users, all the money, all the products will be still on stuff like Ethereum. But as more and more come over to Shimmer and IOTA, then it will also bring their users. But we need to sort of get the awareness out there. So yeah, I, I personally don't think that's that's a problem. I know some of these projects have very interesting ideas as to how to get people embedded into our ecosystem. And one thing that always works well for these things, I mean, this is not the first time someone launches a new EVM chain, right? So mm -hmm. many other chains have done this. You have had uh, Binance Smart Chain, you had Phantom, etc. Are they not used? No, they're definitely used and people mm -hmm. go to there. And, and what's a big incentive for people to go there? Uh, again, speculation. Any new DEX launches, they want to be part of some airdrop or they want to be part of 
some initial staking because there's a high uh, high return on that staking, for example. In terms of DeFi ecosystem, I'm not too worried about that because people are happy to jump into new ecosystem as long as they don't have to uh, learn a lot of new stuff. And with mm. the EVM chain, it's just a matter of adding a new EVM chain to their MetaMask and they can be part of this as well. Mm. Uh, so I don't see a lot of issues there in terms of the ecosystem adoption per se. Uh, but yeah, the, the projects will have to grow that and there's a lot of opportunity available there. Uh, what, what has driven a lot of these new projects on, uh, on to, to, to shimmer EVMs, essentially, they want to become the market leader in terms of decentralized exchange or lending protocol or whatever on the shimmer protocol. Because if you have that and the protocol becomes successful, then you have a, a very interesting earning model and very interesting uh, community that revolves around you. And think about it, like, like you said, if people uh, are tied to a specific platform, uh, they might be tied to a specific platform, but maybe not so much to a specific network. So if people use a certain decentralized exchange and that becomes the norm and people start using their uh, staking pools, etc., then it's pretty much impossible to get off that uh, platform unless they really mess it up. Uh, so there's a lot of incentive to build new stuff on Shimmer EVM just because you can be the first and you can get some first mover advantage there, mm. which is not possible anymore in existing change. And I think uh, some other things like uh, projects launching, which hand out governance tokens, which are easier to obtain than on other networks, will allow people to uh, to move over to these these platforms, try them out, and, and maybe they hang around, maybe they stick around. Uh, that, that kind of depends on their experience. But given the applications I've seen so far, I think we have a pretty interesting uh, thing to offer. And I think that a lot of people are eager to try a lot of these applications out mm, yeah yeah i completely agree with that um smart contracts for a basic person like myself is that something that i will use or is that more like for developer people and like do you see smart contracts being used more and more in the traditional space yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. And it's a very broad, right? I mean, if you look at a smart contract, I, I think in the end, uh, if, if we evolve a little bit further, then uh, I think a lot of people will actually be interacting with smart contracts without their explicit knowledge. So the underlying technology might be smart contracts, but they might just be using an app on their phone and mm. don't even worry or bother about it. Uh, I could see a lot of potential future use cases. Uh, right now, a lot is uh, revolving around DeFi because that's doable. Anyone can get some tokens on some exchange and use them on DeFi to, to stake them, to lend them, whatever. Uh, that That's something that everyone can already do. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting use cases in the real world, so to say, which uh, could also utilize smart contracts, but are primarily held back by uh, things like legal reasons. Uh, for example, uh, let's give a very simple example. Let's say you have a football club uh, with a football stadium and you are a big fan of that football stadium and they need funding. Say that football stadium says, okay, we give out a million tokens. They're all, uh, they all cost like five, uh, $5 and it's a share of ownership of the football club. And together with a DAO, you can decide uh, what the strategy of the football club would be. So essentially the football club would then become fan owned and uh, 
people would just be able to use their phone app to say, okay, uh, I want a new stadium to be built or I want this player to be bought or whatever. And uh, basically people can vote with their tokens, with their stake. And basically it's turning some kind of organizational structure which used to be very analog into a more dig digital form, but also a secure form. Uh, where it's very easy to also transfer ownership. If you uh, don't like the football club anymore, you can just sell your tokens to someone else and uh, uh, that pe that person will then have the voting rights on that. I th think there's a, a big uh, opportunity still there. Uh, and I think we will see a lot more of that in the future. But I think that's primarily held back right now by how legally possible it is to run a decentralized uh, autonomous organization, uh, DAOs. Mm. And whatever comes to that, I mean, it's it's very hard to register a foundation that's actually a DAO, for example. There always has to be some kind of real person involved, which makes it difficult to really enforce the DAO because the actual decision maker will be the person running the DAO, and that that doesn't really make it decentralized. So, I hope a lot can be done there still in terms of regulation, and uh, yeah, also in terms of user experience. There's a lot to gain. Uh, but I'm sure that this will be used more and more in the future also for more normal use cases where people will not even know that they are using a, a smart contract, but they're actually just using their app and uh, hmm. that you, having it more as a backend back uh, back kind of technology, but a transparent one. So anyone uh, willing to uh, look into the details can actually see that it's done fair and uh, according to what the smart contract says. Yeah, yeah. Um... It would be a shame if we were talking about Shimmer EVM and didn't talk about timeframes, um, which I know probably is the most interesting thing for those listening. Um, so my question is, what is a logical time frame for EVM to be in a testing phase before it goes live on Shimmer? Um, yeah. If you say like, if there's not like any major bugs, like what's a reasonable time frame there? Yeah, also a good question. Uh, we have a kind of have a policy to not really give timeframes from the foundation at the moment. Uh, however, I do can give a clear part as to how we're going to get there, right? Mm. So uh, for the last months, we have been working hard to make the uh, release of Wasp uh, with EVM testnet ready. Uh, so this primarily means that uh, the chain doesn't break, which it which happened a couple of times in the past, for example, uh, that we are able to recover, that we have some kind of redundancy, that the consensus is working properly, etc. cetera. Uh, we work hard towards that, and we are currently at the point that we are ready to launch a testnet. Uh, but we also want to do this in a reliable and uh, good user experience kind of way. So what we're doing right now is we're setting up the test net, doing some internal tests on it. Then we share it to one of uh, to, to a couple of the uh, launching uh, launching applications, so they can already deploy their smart contracts, run their own tests, see if everything functions as they expect it to be. This is something we already did with some of the some of the launching platforms uh, for the last couple of months uh, to get their feedback and then to figure this out. So I'm not expecting so, so much uh, weird stuff from that. And if they're all happy with that, which is probably a couple of weeks, uh, and there are no further issues, because that's always a problem with timelines, right? We give timelines, mm. and then something happens, which is not to be expected, but needs some kind of uh, fix or refactor, which can sometimes take weeks. Uh, then you're already way past your timeline, and everyone starts asking when uh, when Shimmer EVM, and uh, yeah. you get that stuff. Mm. Uh, 
but but there's actually a re reasonable uh, logic to it. So first we do the testnet, which uh, is limited at first, but public after a couple of weeks. Uh, then we have to uh, ensure that based on our findings from the testnet, we can safely say, okay, we want to run a value application on this. We're taking this seriously. The uh, chain itself will likely contain a lot of value. We've seen a lot, a lot of, lot of incidents on other chains with millions, even billions of value loss because things went wrong or lost or hex or whatever. Uh, so we want to ensure that the chain is running stable, it can handle the load, people are happy with the performance. And uh, once we're at that phase where we can confidently say, okay, we think this is ready for value use, uh, we will launch it on Shimmer EVM. Um, mm. And Shimmer EVM, of course, has somewhat of a lower, uh, uh, lower limit to that in terms of uh, how reliable it needs to be because it's Shimmer EVM. It's like the, the, the staging network of IOTA. Uh, so it will run there for uh, at least several months before uh, it's being launched on IOTA as well. Uh, we have to be really, really sure that it actually battle tested on Shimmer before we launch it on IOTA because IOTA is the, the real big game, so to say. But yeah, testnet very soon. Uh, if we're happy with the testnet, uh, Shimmer EVM after a couple of months likely, uh, it needs to be well tested and also tested over time. So we need to ensure that for at least, let's say, a month or two months, uh, it didn't have any issues in terms of uh, uh, halting, crashing, whatever. Mm. And once that's all good, now we'll launch a Shimmer EVM after cool. that IOT. Cool. Yeah, because that was my next question is, um, once it's on Shimmer, Shimmer and um, people are able to use it, um, probably a lot of users, and so you get um, like heavy testing. Um, what would be like a reasonable time frame um, before we were able to go on IOTA? Like, are we talking years or like it's just a couple of months there as well? Uh, yeah, it, it kind of uh, depends on the findings. Uh, so say best case scenario, everything is very smoothly and everything works well and no problems at all. Everyone's super happy. It's being utilized. We don't have any issues with the load, etc then it would just be a couple of months and we would be happy and we can move to, to IOTA. Hmm. Um, the, the main reason for launching Shimmer in the first place is to have a staging network for IOTA, to have something where we can actually battle test the technology that comes on IOTA, so that everything on IOTA is actually proven stable. And I think this is the first real big application on top of, uh, uh, on top of IOTA or Shimmer in this case uh, that we want to battle test. Uh, we have to be really certain that it works well uh, on mm. Shimmer as well. So uh, yeah, it won't be a couple of weeks. It will more be like a couple of months to half a year maybe. Uh, if everything goes well, if we still have things to improve, then we'll have to improve things and the timeline resets again. Uh, but yeah, overall, we're talking more in terms of months than years, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So of course, it's speculation because you can't know what's happening once everything is going live and all the moving parts are active. But um, it, it's it's nice to get so, sort of a perspective because I think a lot of people like doesn't know how to read GitHub, so they know yeah it's coming. But is it like are we talking in a couple of months or are we talking in a 
Yeah, no, I, I I get it as well, right? It's it's very hard to get insights. There's a lot going on, even even in the team itself. There's, there's yeah. like so, so many different parts that are being worked on, and people. I, I see questions from people sometimes, like, why do we need to refactor this again, etc. Mm. And I try to answer those questions, uh, and and then usually they understand why it's happening. But usually this lack of understanding why we do things the way we do things, uh, they all have solid reasons, but. People don't know them, and sometimes they get frustrated with that. Yeah. It's totally understandable. Absolutely, yeah. So if we if we say we live in a perfect world, there's no problems, everything is running as it is intended to do, um, then we can probably see Shimmer potentially going live with EVM in around May or June, something like that. And then if everything is going perfectly well there and there's no major things that's happening, then maybe late summer we can actually get it on the IOTA network as well, which is fantastic. Potentially, yeah. It's, uh, Potentially, it's yeah. very hard to, uh, to to say. I mean, we did timelines in the past, yeah. and we always did the timelines based on the best possible scenario. Mm. But this is rarely the case. There's always something, and it, it can be not, uh, not mission critical to have it solved right away. But, but in terms of, for example, you're missing out on performance or... Uh, People are having issues with 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 connecting to the nodes because they're overloaded all the time, and we need to come mm. up with a solution for that. And it's just like yeah. very difficult to say what's going to happen. So yeah, the, we kind of always assume the best possible scenario for our internal deadlines, but we usually don't make them. Mm. Uh, however, I'm um, yeah, we'll have to see what the testnet does. But uh, cool, looking forward to it. Wow, away. <laughs> mm. Um. You, as a developer, um, like I have been very vocal about how I would like to market uh, Shimmer and IOTA, but you're a developer, so you probably have an, an entirely different way to looking at it. So what would be, in your opinion, the best way to market the IOTA and Shimmer EVM? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I usually don't try to get involved too much in marketing and stuff, and that, that might also be a shortcoming, but uh, I think it's important to... Uh, steer towards a unique ecosystem, a friendly ecosystem that we're building, uh, but also towards the unique features that we have on offer that are not offered on other chain, especially the flexibility of things. Uh, we're not just focused on DeFi, but we do offer DeFi possibilities right now. And we could focus with marketing terms of on, on things that frustrate other people. Like what, what does uh, frustrate most people on DeFi, for example? Well, if you launch your smart contract uh, and some person exploiting minor extractable value, they can just uh, make like a million on launch because they uh, front run people. Uh, that's something we want to avoid with this. Uh, another thing might be the throughput, right? Very often the chain gets popular. It, it's running fine at first. People are excited about it because it works so much better than Ethereum, etc. They move to it, and suddenly the chain is overloaded. Everything goes down, and uh, there's a lot of issues with uh, with getting it to work. Uh, we also have the option to say, let's launch another chain, or let the community launch another chain and move some of the applications to that chain. And uh, that way, you can spread out the load a bit more. And uh, I mean, it, it could even be that like a very big application, like uh, decentralized exchanges, can have their own chain, also governed by themselves maybe with some community governor, uh, governors uh, or with some community validators in there. Uh, and if people trust that 
decentralized exchanges and their validators, they can just use that chain. And that chain is then exclusive for decentralized exchanges. I think features like that and things like the red, uh, random uh, randomness included in the platform, which can be used for several use cases, is just uh, uh, something that could be used to, to market it towards existing DeFi ecosystems. And mm. in terms of more global smart contracts for a wider use case, not just DeFi, I would say uh, primarily the flexibility and also uh, future compatibility with uh, anything new and exciting that might come up that you might use. If you build something in Ethereum now, you know you are tied to Solidity and to EVM. Mm. Uh, if you build something on uh, Shimmer or Iota, you know that uh, if something else becomes popular, you will have the option to have that VM implemented and uh, use that as well on there and move over easily without being tied to uh, to a certain technology specifically. Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I'm really hoping that that all that everything that we've been talking about this past hour that we are going to see it um, as soon as possible and start interacting with it because I think there is a lot of potential. Um, and which I actually think that the community is not really aware of the the size of. Well, just the better. We'll, we'll do our best with uh, with the projects as well to see if we can uh, uh, make this more visible and get people excited and actually using these things on the test net. Uh, maybe some, some cool rewards could be fetched by that. Uh, we're also looking a little bit into that. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to see what's happening. We won't have to wait for long on the uh, on, on the test net, and uh, I'm I'm super excited to see what all these these amazing projects have built, and how they're going to be used, and how people are going to interact with them. Uh, if if something is an indication, if you look at like for example, Sooniverse, they already launched before we had smart contracts because they don't really use smart contracts for their. <laughs> Uh, application, but they do allow using the Shimmer network. And if you see, there's already a very active trade there with uh, with NFTs, etc. Mm. Uh, keeping people busy and people are excited about this uh, with real smart contract support. That will only add to it, of course. And uh, we will have so much more different kind of use cases. I'm super excited to see what people will be using and also what what new stuff will be built on top of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th thank you so much, Dave, for, for taking the time to come and explain this. And um, hopefully, as soon as possible, we are able to to actually use everything that we've been talking about. And uh, best of luck to you and the team. Uh, looking forward and appreciate all the work that you've done. Awesome. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thomas, thank you for taking the time and doing this uh, this podcast. Thank you, mate. Um, so thank you guys for listening and um, see you next time. Cheers.